Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. Hey, I want to welcome you to Chestnut Mountain Church. We are a place uh, where we hope, as Pastor Brandon said, that you understand quickly our mission is to saturate the world with the good news by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's what everything here is bent towards. So whoever's on this platform, no matter what we're doing, whoever's out in the community with our t-shirt on, whoever's in the lobby at the front door or in the golf cart, hello, Tony passed somebody in the golf cart. We want to make sure that our mission is bleeding out all throughout this place and in this community that we want to see disciples made of Jesus Christ. And we believe that we're all called into that mission, that it's not just something for the stage that's reserved for pastors up here. We believe that we're all called to that mission. And so we want to invite you into that, even if it's your first time with us today. We want to invite you to learn more about what that's like and to be a part of this mission with us. There's no greater mission in the world. And we believe that. And it all starts with the Word of God. That's why we come to it every single week. That's why we come to it hopefully every single day. And we ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate truth to us through the revealed Word of God. I just want to emphasize for a second that God gave us His Word. (laughs) That we don't have to come to the church once a week to hear from somebody like me telling you what God said, but you can have what God said beside your pillow every night and every morning. So just to sort of set the table for us, we believe in biblical teaching because we know that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we know that the power does not rest in anyone up here on this stage. It rests in the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit because of what Jesus has done for us. And he said he sent a helper, an advocate on our behalf to bring to remembrance all things that God has spoken, that Jesus taught us. And so before we go any further, I I would love uh, to invite you to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I'm just going to read this last section of 1 Thessalonians 5 with all of that in mind that this is the living and active word of God that we come to this morning. I want to read it straight through before we begin to unpack it together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to be closing out the letter to the first letter to the church in Thessalonica today. When you're with me, say amen. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, 
Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone for evil, evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Paul ends this amazing letter in this way with these final instructions to the church in Thessalonica. And we see a lot of uh, different things in this particular text. We see so many things that uh, to unpack today. He, he starts out by speaking about our Christian relations with leaders in the church. And then he moves on to talk about our Christian relations with others. And then he steps a little deeper into the relationship with God, the Christian relations with God. And then he closes this section out with a culmination and a prayer for sanctification, to sanctify the Christian completely which is a huge thought that we're going to unpack together. And then he ends the letter by putting them under oath before the Lord to read this letter to all the church, to make sure that when they came together, they read this letter. So it must have been pretty important. And we come to it today asking the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. Remember, this letter was Paul's first letter to the churches. He wrote many, but this was his first. This is actually chronologically the first book of the New Testament written approximately 20 years after the crucifixion. So somewhere around 50 AD is when Paul wrote this. Most likely he was on his second missionary journey and he wrote it from Corinth. It's been called the least doctrinal of the letters, which really is a big word for teaching, the, the teachings of God that we, that we study from Scripture. This is the least of his teacher-heavy doctrinal letters that he gave to the churches. But it's, it's, an, it's an outburst of confidence and hope and love accompanied by a series of practical instructions. If you've been with us the last several weeks, we've been talking about the second coming of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, and the hope that we have in him. Paul is very clear and plain about a significant mystery that the church has been arguing about for years and years and years. And then he closes 
our time, our, our, the letter out today with a series of practical instructions for Christian living. And I want to dive into that here. But remember that he's writing to Christians. He's writing to new Christians even. And he's encouraged. That he said earlier in the letter that, that the, the word of their faith and their love for one another has spread abroad already. Remember, Paul only spent three weeks with, with these Christians, this church, and he's raising up the church of Thessalonica, and he's writing this letter back to them to encourage them. So let's, let's walk through this together. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go a little quicker in the beginning, and then we're going to slow down towards the end to focus on the Holy Spirit's role in our lives. Everybody okay? We, we together this morning? We're going to go teacher mode here for a second, if that's all right. Verse 12 says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. He's speaking about the leaders in the church. We ask you, brothers and sisters, to respect your leaders, those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and, and encourage you and correct you and bring reproof to you and, and help you to live this Christian life on mission for God and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work and be at peace among yourselves, he says. Verse 14, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. So now he shifts to our relations one-to-one uh, -one or, or interpersonally. He starts with leadership, our relationship with leadership, and then he moves to our relationship with one another to admonish the idle among you, to encourage the faint-hearted, those who are downcast and, and, and worn out by life, and help the weak. Be patient with them all. We see here that Paul is, is pointing out that the people minister to the people as well, that we're all in this together, that, that we're called to this mission together. And when we see brothers and sisters around us that are weak or faint hearted or struggling, we step up to the task to encourage and to admonish and to help. And Paul is about to get into the more spiritual matters but before he does, he teaches us about right relationships. He teaches us how to get these relationships right. Verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Don't repay evil for evil, but always seek to do good to, to one another and to everyone. Unity in the fellowship is a priority for Paul here because it's a priority to God. How we love one another is important. And so we heed these instructions. We, we listen to the word here. And then he starts to unpack some key spiritual practices. Our relationship with God, our personal worship. And I want you to see as we unpack verses 16 through 18 here. that our spiritual being requires regular exercise if it's going to be healthy and productive. There are, there are certain disciplines that Paul's outlining here, and these are just a few, but he's, he's giving them to us, that these disciplines that we must 
adopt. In the original language, they're written in the imperative form, which means they're not suggestions. These are commands for us. And they're also each written in the present tense, which shows us that they're to be habits. <laughs> they're to be consistent, continually practiced, regularly exercised. And the first one he gives us is rejoice always. Rejoice always. Some of you may be coming in here today thinking that is going to be really difficult to do based on what's going on around me, what's going on in my life. Paul, of course, here means that we are not only to rejoice in happy things, but we're also to rejoice in our sorrows as well. And the Christian can always rejoice because our joy isn't based on circumstances. It's based on God. Circumstances change, but God doesn't. Philippians 4.4 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always, Paul tells the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. What about Galatians 5, where the second fruit of the Spirit listed is joy? Joy, rejoice always. Paul to the Corinthians about receiving the grace of God on their lives in 2 Corinthians 6 says, As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. What is he talking about? Those are different realities. Having nothing means I don't possess anything, except for when you have Christ, you have everything. And we constantly have cause <laughs> for rejoicing. Nehemiah 8 verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Rejoice always. Does that mean that everything is going to be joyful? Does that mean that we're always going to be happy? No. It's a reminder that we always have reason to rejoice because even though circumstances change and they may be miserable, God is unfailing. God is faithful. God does not change. And we always have more reasons to worship and to rejoice that he is our strength. Verse 17, Paul says, pray without ceasing. This is the second spiritual practice that he unpacks for us here or lists for us here that we're going to unpack today. Pray without ceasing. And when I read this and, and you've probably heard this, in fact, you might have it on a coffee cup, pray without ceasing. I'm like, does that mean 24 seven, 365? Like I'm always supposed to have my mind attentive to being prayerful. Pray without ceasing. What does this mean? Is, is Paul really teaching us that we're supposed to be praying nonstop like those hotlines? You remember that when the cords were, uh, the, the phones were corded? No, they still have hotlines today with, with cell phones. What am I talking about? Hello. All right. Happy Memorial Day. <laughs> Paul's reminding us here. He's reminding believers that prayer should be constant, that we have this constant connection with the heavenly father. Do we understand the possibilities? Do we understand the opportunity? I want to think about this verse in this way. A Christian should never be in a place where he or she could not pray. Pray without ceasing. 
Does that mean I'm, I'm never supposed to do anything but praying? No, but partially what I think it means is you should never be in a place where you could not pray. If you're in the hospital room and it feels like it'd be really awkward to say, hey, everybody, we need to pray right here. You know who's the best at this in the whole world? He's on the front row and he was hoping I wasn't gonna say it, Greg Worley. If you've been with him, you know. He is not afraid to put the hammer down on a moment and say, we need to pray right here, guys. We need to pray. I think that's what it means. Pray without ceasing. Constantly be aware that you have a connection with your heavenly father and you can be in prayer anywhere at any time. What, a, what an awesome reality that I think we neglect. Prayer is communication with God. And we can live each minute of the day in prayer conversation, flowing conversation, constantly in prayer with God. Do you understand what this unlocks for the Christian? That we don't have to come to the altar and be in a certain posture at a certain time to pray. That we can enter into the most holy places by the blood of Jesus and call upon the name of the Lord. That he's made it possible for us to pray without ceasing. To the original audience, this was mind-blowing. That we can now, because of our intercessor, Jesus, we can come into communion and communication with the Father at any time. It may not mean as much to us today, but I think that speaks to how much we neglect this amazing privilege. Andrew Murray, one of my favorite Puritan preacher said this throughout scripture in the life of every saint and that of God's own son, even and all through church history, God is, first of all, a prayer hearing God. If, if it's true, you know, I can't make this whole sermon about prayer, but I'm just really feeling like I need to right now, just for one more second. If it's true that we can pray without ceasing and that God is a prayer hearing God, shouldn't that change the way we orient our day around communing with him? That he's listening, that he's attentive. All right, we're gonna keep moving. Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances. Give thanks. Okay. So we got to rejoice in all circumstances always, no matter what the circumstance and we're to give thanks in all circumstances. All right, Paul, you took it a step too far for me there. You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, my man had some rough times. He understands in all circumstances, give thanks. But I want you to notice something just briefly here. It doesn't say for all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. This helps us understand Romans chapter eight, verse 28, that we love to quote, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It doesn't say all things are good. It says that they are working together for good. 
Give thanks in all circumstances. Don't give thanks for all circumstances. Circumstances aren't always good, but you can give thanks in all circumstances. Paul isn't teaching us here, fake it till you make it, because you don't have to fake it till you make it when you know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we can give thanks in all circumstances. We have reason to give thanks in every circumstance because we know that it is for our good and it is for his glory if we are in Christ and called according to his purposes. We don't give thanks for everything, but we give thanks in everything. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's how he closes verse 18. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But it's not only attached to 18. It's also attached to 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you see that? We, we are told to do this because it is the will of God. But the thought here is not that this is the will of God, so you must do it. The thought is rather, this is God's will, so you can do it. You have been liberated to do these things. We could read it this way. Rejoice always, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the will of God that all who are in Christ would express constant joy, constant prayer, and constant gratitude. I love it when we get these, these statements in Scripture that we can put the stake in the ground on to say, when we're searching for what the will of God is, which we do all the time, what is the will of God for my life? Well, let's start here. This is a little bit of a window into that. Rejoice always. <laughs> Pray without ceasing. And give thanks in all circumstances. It's a good start. We might overcomplicate it a bit. So then he moves on to the juicy stuff. That was the practical. That was teacher moment. Now we're going to get a little deeper here in speaking about our relations with God on a more personal, deep, spiritual level. The first, uh, first part of that in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. I want to put that on the screen because they may think I'm making it up if they don't have their Bible because that's a tough one to read. Do not quench the Spirit. So that means it's possible to quench the Spirit? That means it's possible to... Okay, what does the word quench mean? The word quench here means to extinguish. It's, it's a term used like extinguishing a fire, to stifle it, to snuff it out, to extinguish it. Okay, that doesn't make it any easier that it's possible for me to do that to the Spirit of God. And I'm going to belabor this point. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. 
Now, I want to say something before we go any further in this, because this is, this is one of these moments right here, if we're not careful. Paul is not teaching that we can quench the person of the Spirit. Paul is teaching that we can quench the work of the Spirit. The person of the Spirit cannot be quenched because he is the third person of the Trinity in the Godhead. The Holy Spirit of God, as a person, cannot be quenched, but his work can be quenched. So, so we must take this very seriously. But we have to start with the fact that the Christian cannot lose the person of the Spirit. When we come into relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith, the Holy Spirit indwells, inhabits the believer, the Christian. And that's secure, sealed, Ephesians teaches us and elsewhere, sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. But we can quench the work of the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Do not grieve him. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve or hurt. Do not hurt him. Do not grieve him. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an he's not an influence. He's not a power. He's not an it. He's a person. You can't grieve an influence. You can't grieve an it, but you can grieve a person. Do not grieve him. God has determined, think about this. God has determined it possible for us to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit. This is terrifying because if it's possible, then there are probably many ways that I, for one, am really good at doing it. Quenching, grieving. And there are probably many ways that I don't even realize I'm doing it. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us that we Christians are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple. He, he resides inside of the Christian. God could have chosen to reside anywhere he wanted. And he chose to live inside of you and me. And James 4, 5 teaches us that he is jealous of this relationship. A, a good jealousy. He's jealously love. He, he loves us jealously. And this relationship matters greatly to him. So, so he comes into the Christian in the form of the person of the Holy Spirit. And we now live with him inseparably. So when I go to make that decision that I know is wrong, the Holy Spirit is with me. When I let that word slip out of my mouth, the Holy Spirit is with me processing what's coming out and, what's, and what I'm thinking about after I do it. When I go to that place that I'm not supposed to go to with those people that I know I'm not supposed to be with, and then I end up doing that stuff that I wasn't supposed to be doing, the Holy Spirit is with me. Do you remember the story of Jonah? He's trying to get away from what God told him to do. He's trying to run away as far away as he can. And he said, he found out really quick, there's no place to hide. 
Well, let's take that up a notch now. Because now we have the promised Holy Spirit that Jesus said would come after him. I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the promised one of God, the Holy Spirit, to reside in the believer so that every step you take, he is with you. Shouldn't that change the way that we operate when we think we're alone? We're not. And not only are we not alone, and not only is there going to be guilt and consequence associated with doing wrong things, but we can quench the work of the Holy Spirit. I wish I could just sit right here for the rest of the time because this has been rocking me all week as I've been studying it. If this is true, and it is, we need to take it very seriously that what we do can quench the Holy Spirit's work. Let's keep moving for now. Verse 20, and we'll come back to that if we have time. Verse 20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Paul is teaching here about prophecies, which is a strange word for most of us, especially if we've been in the Baptist tradition for most of our lives. This already, we already jumped off the deep end. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Now we're there again with prophecies. You know, the people there in the church at Thessalonica were coming with words from the Lord that they were declaring. This is the word from the Lord. And Paul's, Paul's teaching here. He's bringing it up. Don't despise prophecies. Maybe you've experienced this type of thing, or maybe you've had someone come up to you and tell you that they have a word for you. I've got a word that God has given me for you. I, I want to caution us today. Be very careful with that. Because, and, 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 and by the way, just to balance it out before I go too far, don't despise prophecies. Don't despise what God is speaking. Don't despise what God has spoken, number one. And then don't despise what God is speaking, but test it. Look at that. That's what he says. It's, it's plain. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. So if somebody, if you come up to me and you tell me that you have a word for me, and then I test it in alignment with the word of God, and I don't see that it's there, and I don't see how it makes sense with that, then somebody's lying. <laughs> because... God said that this is infallible, this is, this is trustworthy, this is living, this is active. This, this, this word of God is authoritatively true. And if it's not in here or if it doesn't line up with what's in here, then somebody's lying. And you can guess which way I'm going to go with that. So don't despise prophecies. Don't despise it when someone comes to you with an encouragement that they believe God's given you through them. But if it don't line up, don't be afraid to throw it out. Abstain from every form of evil, verse 22. That one's pretty clear. Abstain from every form of evil. Doesn't make it easy, but it makes it clear. Abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. 
And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Now may the God of peace sanctify you completely. I sat on that one this week for a while. What does it mean to sanctify? What does sanctify mean? It means to set apart, to separate from sin to holiness. It's this process, to, sanctification is this process of making you holy, making you more like Jesus, Brian taught, Pastor Brian taught this a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians 4, remember? This is the will of God for you, your sanctification, that you refrain from, from any of these things of this world. That your sanctification is separating you from sin and to holiness. It's like the difference between, just to illustrate quickly, it's like the difference between a dress and a wedding dress. It's set apart for a specific purpose, and it's clearly different. I like that picture. Back in the day when we used to go to prom, they, they were basically wearing wedding dresses, and then we went through a different little phase where they just wore like short skirt things, and I was like, what happened? I thought we were formal to these things, and now, nowadays, they're spending money again on dresses, so y'all feel the pain, I guess, of I don't know why I'm talking about that. Oh, yeah, because the picture is <laughs> a regular dress is different from a wedding dress. According to the Westminster Shorter Catechism, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. I love that. It's a process. It's a process. I got this quote down here that I took out of my notes and I'm gonna find it. John Newton said this, I'm not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be, but I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me is not in vain. It kind of reminds me of that Toby Keith song. Just kidding. Sanctification. <laughs> the process. You know that song, I ain't as good as I once was. <laughs> the process of becoming more like Jesus, sanctification, the process of becoming more like Jesus. Simple way to put it. It's separating you from sin and to holiness. This is a work only for, of the Holy Spirit that resides in you. It's only by this free gift of grace that this is possible. And this is the Christian's first and primary goal, to be like Christ. This is our goal, in our personal goal of being a Christian in this life is to be fashioned into his image. And Paul prays in this text that the God of peace would sanctify you completely. The emphasis here is on completely. That's why I can't believe it because it's completely. 
completely. Now, I get it. It's in process, but completely. Paul invented a word here. It's a compound word. It's nowhere else in the New Testament. He invented it. I love it when he does this because he's in prayer and he wants to make it emphasized. He wants to make it clear. He wants to make it big because he knows there's nothing too big for God to do. And he puts these two words together. The first word means whole and entire. And the second word here means end. So the basic connotation is holy attaining the end, reaching the intended goal. This word contains the force of no part being left unreached. <laughs> all of you, all of you, this is the prayer, to be sanctified. This process of becoming more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. We have all of him, but we are still in process. We have everything we need now. Think about that. We have everything we need as it pertains to life and godliness, the Bible tells us. And we have the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit of God, the very presence of God inside of us. We have everything we need now, every grace is implanted. We are not lacking of these things that we need, but we have not come to our full growth yet. These graces that have been implanted have not come to full growth yet. Like a seed sown in the earth, we begin with everything we need. Think about that. The apple seed, Johnny, when he was sowing it, that little seed had everything it needed. But it's just, it's just packaged in a little seed. Should have brought a seed. But help, helpful to see the seed. And then I could have brought a tree to show you how the difference of that in the same packaging. We have everything. It's been implanted. But, but, we're, but we're babies. We're babies. Until it's been watered and until it's been cultivated and until God's power collides with our obedience. We're going to talk about obedience if I have time. It's the whole point. I got to get there. But we got to understand that this process includes us. This process includes what we do in obedience to his word and to his voice. We have a good Gardener who is faithful to complete the task of our sanctification. That's what the text is telling us today. He's faithful. He will surely do it. Now, before we go any further, I want, I want to be clear here because this can get a little bit twisted. I want to be clear that, that you don't become righteous so you can be declared righteous. You don't have to get yourself there. You don't have to become holy enough to then be declared righteous before God. You are, you are declared righteous by faith alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. 
This is it. Like, like we, don't, we don't get ourselves there before he declares us righteous. We are justified by grace through faith. Justified means to be freed from the penalty of sin because of, because of Jesus's work on the cross, because he bore the penalty of sin. We do not have to bear it anymore. And when God looks at us, he sees Jesus if we are in Christ. In that moment, we were regenerated by faith when we were justified. In a moment. This didn't include us. We, we, we came with our submission. We came with our repentance. We came with our faith. But other than that, we didn't have anything else to bring. It was all Jesus. And in a moment, by grace, through faith, you were justified. And in that moment, you were freed from the power, from the, sorry, the penalty of sin. And you were regenerated. And then God began the process of fashioning you into his image by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about when we say sanctification. So regeneration, being justified and regenerated is in a moment. But sanctification is an ongoing process. Regeneration is birth. Sanctification is growth. We don't get it twisted. So when Paul talks about uh, working out your salvation with fear and trembling in Philippians 2.12, which is the next thing on my notes, I tried to get ahead of myself. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Does that mean I have to work to attain salvation? No, it means you're justified by grace through faith. And then it means that it's your responsibility now to take part in this sanctification process, which is also a part of your salvation, but it doesn't affect your security because you were justified by the holy and righteous one in a moment. And now you're in process to become more and more like him. And one day you will be glorified with him in eternity. For it is God, verse 13 of Philippians 2, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Does this, you said work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Does this mean that we can earn it? Does this mean it's based on works? Absolutely not. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure pleasure. How does he do that? He does it primarily through the Holy Spirit that he has given to the Christian at the moment of conversion. So do not quench the Spirit. And we see right in the middle of this text, right in the middle of these final exhortations to the church in Thessalonica, Paul put the thread that ties it all together. Do not quench the Holy Spirit's work. The Holy Spirit is the reason for your new life in Christ. He breathed life into your lungs and saved you in a moment. And the Holy Spirit is the reason for your spiritual growth in Christ 
today, illuminating truth and shaping you into the image of the Son. Romans 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, big if, the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in the Christian and the Christian will, will, promise, be sanctified by that power because the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give life to their mortal bodies as he dwells in them. So do not quench the Holy Spirit's work. What's the opposite of quenching the Holy Spirit? Walking in obedience. That's what I see. I tried to boil it down. Don't take my word for it. Study the scriptures. But if the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in me, and he's giving life. A purpose of his is to give life to my mortal body. What's the missing component if I'm not living a life fully alive that Jesus promised? The missing component is my disobedience. The missing component is my obedience. There's a story of a missionary translator who, who, who was struggling to find a word for obedience for the people that he was translating for, this tribe, this unreached people group. And they, they didn't practice this virtue and, and didn't have a word for it, kind of, you know, similar to us uh, sometimes. And he was working so hard every day to find a word for obedience. What, how can I translate this word? They have to understand this word. This is very important. And he couldn't figure out how to translate it into their dialect. And then one day he returned from the village and he whistled for his dog. And the dog came immediately and sat right beside his leg. Just like that, quickly, just came right to him, full speed, boom, with a whistle. And, and an older native from the village saw it happen. And, and he said in their native tongue, your dog is all ear. The missionary said, I got it. There's the translation, all ear. It's like the little boy who was outside playing under the tree and the dad was in the house on his porch, came out to look and he saw the boy and he said, son, come quickly. And the son dropped to the ground and, 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 and crawled very quick straight to him. 
And the dad said, I want you to look, son. And the son turned around and looked and there was a snake wrapped around above the playground where he was that was about to attack him if he wouldn't have done exactly what his dad said right when he said it. That's all ear. There's a big difference in why, dad? I'm playing. I'm having a great time. I don't want to leave yet. It's not time for dinner. Yeah, it is time for dinner. Well, I'm not hungry, so it's not time for dinner. I mean, I'm having these arguments daily, if you can't tell. <laughs> All ear. Obedience. That's why what I understand from our scripture today and throughout the other scriptures that I've studied in light of this scripture, I see that the fuel for the Holy Spirit's work in our life is obedience. We can quench him with our disobedience, but we can fan into flame his fire with our obedience. We don't like to talk about obedience a lot because we think it's dangerously close to legalism, but I'm telling you, it's a part of the equation. And I don't understand how that works with a God who is immutable, a God who is all powerful, a God who is all knowing, a God who can do anything anywhere at any time. But if I can quench him, I must take this very seriously. Justification by faith, sanctification by faith as well. The difference is you bring nothing but faith to the process of justification, but you bring obedience to the process of sanctification. This is the will of God. Your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. What's the will of God for my life? Let's start with he wants to make you more like Jesus. So what areas in our life are quenching this work? Paul prayed, may your whole spirit and soul and body, listen to his language, may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. How? How? Archaeologists have found this Greek word for blameless on ancient Christian tombs in Thessalonica. This is how they identified the deceased Christians among them, blameless. And this is how you can be identified as well. It's a miracle. He who promised is faithful. 
and he will surely do it. You know, the Sydney Opera House in Sydney, Australia, when they set out to build it, they wanted to build this masterpiece, this the most unbelievable architectural structure so that people all over the world would come to see it. And they started out with a budget of seven million in 1957. 7.2 million in 1957, which was a lot of money in 1957. But the final cost in 1973, <laughs> 16 years for, the, for those of you that are better at math than me, because it took me a little while, reached, this is the final cost, budget 7.2. 16 years later, final cost, $110 million. And an authority in New South Wales was asked about the cost. And, and this is what he said. The cost has become a secondary consideration to the perfection of the achievement. <laughs> and I believe that's what God did. The cost Jesus at the garden take it away from me. If it be your will, take this cup from me. The cost became a secondary consideration to the perfection of the achievement. He who promised is faithful. He will surely do it. He will keep you blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He has accomplished it. It is finished. But the first step to becoming righteous is to recognize that you're unrighteous. And then God will do the rest. Our posture is repentance and God does the rest. Our posture is submission to his lordship and he does the rest. And once we've been justified by faith as a free gift of grace, because of the work of Jesus. We enter into a relationship with him where we are being sanctified, where, we, where, where we're being made more like him. And where we walk in the spirit, obedient to what the word teaches and obedient to the way Jesus walked. So I don't know where you are today or, or how you came into this place. But I know that wherever you are, whether you know God or not, the response today is repentance. Maybe today for the first time you need to repent of your sins and you need to call on him as Savior and Lord. We would love to walk with you through that. But maybe you have already been justified Maybe you've already been saved. Maybe you are stirring inside of you with the conviction of the Holy Spirit that there are areas where you have been disobedient that have quenched the Holy Spirit's work. I want to call you to repentance today. I want to call you to lay it down at this altar or in your seat. Because he who promised is faithful to keep you blameless and your responsibility is obedience, not perfect obedience. But when you fall, repentance is part of that obedience. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. 
If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also, a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.